Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, as I mentioned, the question we're considering today in our Questions God Asks series is, what is your name? It's a question about identity. It's a question about who are you? What are you about? And I want to encourage you again, if you've brought your journal, if it's electronic or if it's the blue one that we have or you brought your own, I want to encourage you again to have that journal in your lap, to have it open. Uh, Whether you take notes or not is irrelevant to me. What I would like you to be thinking about, though, is as we make our way through this, something comes to mind, you want to scribble it down, you want to doodle, you want to draw, somehow that will keep a way that will keep you interactive as we contemplate this question, what is your name and who are you? I'd like to encourage you to be doing that and to be engaged as we uh, work through this. Today's question comes directly from this rather fascinating story in Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob is about to reunite with his older brother Esau for the first time in many years. And the last time they saw each other, some of you know the story, Jacob tricked their father into giving him the blessing and the privilege that was rightfully Esau's. It's a great story. It's a story of profound family dysfunction. It's a story of parents playing favorites with their children. And it's a story of epic sibling rivalry. You probably don't know this, but Jacob and Esau's last name was Kardashian. So (laughs) you get a sense that this is the original family reality TV show messed up beyond belief. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was born first. Jacob came out grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob because the name Jacob means holder of the heel, which is a way of calling someone a schemer or a manipulator or a trickster always up to something in order to get what they want. And Jacob's name fit him. For much of his life, he used whatever tactic or trick he could to get what he wanted exactly when he wanted it. So his name was more than just a name. His name described his character. In a way, his name was a prophecy about what he would be like and who he would become. Names were just more meaningful in the times of the Bible. They carried more weight They weren't just haphazardly given. They were given for a purpose. There was almost a sense of God's hand involved in the naming of a child. And so Jacob grew up scheming to get what he wanted. But as his life goes on and he encounters various difficulties, between the lines of his life, if you will, we get the sense he was searching for something. And we get the sense God was searching for him. So let's talk about searching for identity. It doesn't matter how old or how young we are. Who am I? Is one of the crucial questions that shapes our lives. And we don't answer this question once. We ask and we answer this question throughout our existence on this planet. And especially at the turning points of life. When life changes. We turn 18 or we turn 21, we get a job, we move into our first apartment, and whether we're consciously aware of it or not, that question looms in our mind, who am I? 
Our kids go off to school at the ages of four, five, or six, whatever it is. And moms and dads enter a new phase of their lives where they are now asking the question, who am I? Elementary school ends, middle school begins, and middle school children start asking the question whether they know it or not, who am I? When kids go off to college, they get in their dorm or wherever they're going to stay, and all of a sudden it sort of hits them, well, who am I? What are my values? What am I about? And their parents, who dropped them off, are saying, who am I? Difficulties happen in life. Plans don't work out the way we hoped they would. The rug comes out from underneath our lives and we ask the question, who am I? Do we know who we are? Equally important, will the foundation of our identity withstand the inevitable pressures and challenges of this life? In other words, is our identity based on something solid enough to endure the turning points of this life? In our scripture reading, Jacob is panicking big time because he's about to stand face to face with the brother he stole from many years ago. And Esau was a tough dude. Esau was a mountain man kind of a guy. Esau was a Randy Chance kind of a guy, a trucky guy. You don't mess with him. And Jacob was afraid. He's trembling. He's known God for a long time. He's prayed to God occasionally. But it's been a bit of a shaky relationship between Jacob and God. Jacob has often relied on his own ability to scheme and manipulate. But something in him wants to be alone on the eve of this reunion with his brother Esau. So he sends everybody ahead. And then he goes back to be by himself. And that night, the Bible says, Jacob had an encounter with a man. And they wrestle and they fight until the sun rises in the morning. And Jacob is holding his own against this stranger. So the man touches Jacob's hip and injures it. And the Bible says, Jacob would still not give up, telling the stranger, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asks Jacob, what is your name? And this is one of the turning points in Jacob's life. Where he is beginning to come to terms with who he is. And who God is. This man Jacob wrestled with was God in the flesh somehow. Verse 28, the man says, you've struggled with God and with humans and overcome. In verse 30, we're told Jacob called the place Peniel because he says, I saw God face to face. Yet my life was spared. For all of his life, Jacob was defined by his name. He was a schemer. He was a manipulator. This was his identity. But something was stirring within him about who he was and about who God was and what life was all about. And on the eve of this uncertain reunion with his brother Esau, Jacob has a turning point encounter with the living God. And I believe the quest for identity, for knowing who we really are, and for having a solid sense of identity that can endure the challenges and the threats of this life is part of the human quest for meaning and for hope. Throughout life, then, we search for an identity. We try to answer the question, what is my name? Who am I? 
I am Michael Charles Lucan, born in Racine, Wisconsin in 1964, son of Jim and Sue Lucan, brother of Jeff, graduate of the University of Wisconsin, Trinity Seminary, Fuller Seminary, husband of Julie, father to Sam, Ab and Izzy, Abby and Izzy, pastor at Oak Hills Church, and most of all, most importantly, get this through your heads, devoted Packers, Bucks and Brewers fan. That's who I am. And yet all of these roles and experiences and relationships, while they have shaped my identity, none of these things are sufficient to secure my identity through the various challenges of this life. And here's a key thing. None of these things were ever intended to secure my identity. Family of origin, education, spouse, children, religious devotion, what we do, how well we do it, how we perform in sports or school or in our career, our competence in this or that, our income level, our status in society, none of this is able to confer a lasting identity that endures the challenges of this life. What is your name? Who are you? Where do you derive your identity, your value, your sense of meaning, your sense of worth. What is the thing in the depth of our being that causes us to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is me. You want to know me? This is it. This is my definition. This is my core. This is who I am. Let's talk secondly about this beautiful idea of wrestling with God. It's a marvelous image. Locked in a struggle with God to figure out who we are. Wanting God, but also pushing Him away. Loving God, but also at times frustrated with Him. Grappling with God to sort out who He is and who we are. At times in my life, my identity has come through performing well in sports, in school, or at work. I've gotten my value, my identity, my worth by doing well in those things. It's called the performance plan. And many people work this performance plan in an effort to squeeze an identity out of it. We perform well, some kind of reaction or applause happens, and performing well becomes the foundation of our identity. Sometimes, though, one's identity, believe it or not, can actually become attached to the pain they've experienced. I've done this as well. A broken family, experiencing abuse, rejection by key people, a lack of love from key people, divorce, and a host of other things. Our identity gets attached to what happened to us. The painful event or the painful experience becomes who we are. It defines us. And we live out of the identity of being the one, for example, who grew up in a broken family or who was rejected by a spouse or whatever. Here is a way Christians sometimes derive their identity. The Christian faith is simply laid on top of our wounds and scars and brokenness and shame and sins and struggles. We just lay the Christian faith on top of all those things and we become religious people. People who can recite Bible verses, give the right answers, people who know the rules, people who can categorize those who are right, so we think, from those who are wrong, 
so we think. So our faith is like a new shirt we put on and pull over a dirty shirt. In other words, our identity is in our religiosity, or if you prefer, performance meets religion, and there's our identity. We're good, we're a good religious person. That's our name. That's who we are. But it's still out here. It's not really doing much in here. See, this adventure in identity is a lifelong process. I used to think you come on to this, you get this, you lock it down, and that's the end of it. No more. As life changes, as we encounter those important turning points, the question reemerges: what is your name? Who am I? And the temptation we face throughout our lives is to attach our identity to things that are incapable of defining us over the long haul. See, we are not what we do, and we are not how well we do it. But in the course of daily life, you know how this works, we drift toward believing we are what we do, and we drift toward believing we are how well we do it. As the cycle of life spins faster, we fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I am what I do. And as followers of Jesus, here's the point, we are to work this question out with God in prayer and through interacting with His Word, the Bible. This is where we wrestle with God. Let me say this another way. We can't be a follower of Christ without wrestling with God now and then. We wrestle with God to understand who we are. We wrestle with God to once again know who we are. Let me speak out of Julie's and my current life situation. Our kids are in college or out of college. In the past couple of years, there comes the realization that the grind of parenting and the identity parenting brings is no longer what it once was. Our kids don't need us like they did when Sam was screaming in his car seat or when Abby wore a cheese head or when Izzy was standing there holding a stuffed animal. They don't need us like that. We're still their parents. But they don't need us in that way. So Julie and I have had to re-enter the struggle with God to remember who we are. See, I am not defined Primarily by being Sam and Abby and Izzy's dad. And as that role changes, meaning as they've gotten older, older, the temptation is to then look towards some other role as the source of my identity. So now that they don't need me as much, now I'm the pastor of Oak Hills Church. That's where I find my worth and value and meeting. And this is how we do this. We turn and attach to things because we're searching to find out who we are. But see, I have to bring this identity struggle, as do you. I have to bring this identity quest to God and struggle it out with Him. Wrestle with Him. Rediscover who He is at a deeper level. And in the process, rediscover who I am as He defines me. So we take passages like Colossians 3.3 3, and we personalize them. We change the pronoun. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now let me ask you something. What does that mean for a parent whose children are grown? My life is now hidden with Christ 
in God. Fifteen years ago, I didn't have a life because it was hidden in their room somewhere. What does that mean? My life is now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 2.9 In Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and in Christ I have been brought to fullness. What does that mean for me in this season? What does that mean for a parent whose kids are no longer around? In Christ I've been brought to fullness. What does that mean for a business person who's hopping around from here to there and everywhere to get stuff done, to accomplish, to bulk up the 401k, all of which is fine. But what does it mean to say, in Christ, I've been brought to fullness? It's an identity issue. Thomas Merton wrote this. It's on the screen. To work out our identity in God is a labor that requires sacrifice and anguish, risk and many tears. It demands close attention to reality at every moment and great fidelity to God as he reveals himself obscurely in the midst of each new situation. We do not know clearly beforehand what the result of this work will be. The secret of my full identity is hidden in him. He alone can make me who I am, or rather who I will be when at last I fully begin to be. But unless I desire this identity and work To find it with him and in him, the work will never be done. Lastly, let's talk about reframing identity. Verse 28, God says to Jacob, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. After this wrestling match, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Is that not mind-blowing? He changes Jacob's name from schemer, manipulator, and he changes it to struggles with God, strives with God, wrestles with God. A new name, a new identity, rooted deeper in God and in God's love. And this is the work God wants to do in each one of us throughout our lives. He wants to reframe our identity so our worth, our value, our meaning, our purpose is derived from Him and from who we are in Him and to Him. David Benner in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, says it far better than I can. This is on the screen and this is a phenomenal quote. He says, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Whatever our story might be, however difficult or dark or bright or cheery it might be, our identity as Christ followers is that we are, quote, someone who is deeply loved by God. And God wants to reframe our identity so that we find our life and we find our hope and we find our joy in Him. That we get caught up, swept up, stirred up, woken up into His story, into His goodness, into His love, into His grace. And we live our lives each moment, each day, out of the strength of knowing who we are 
as his beloved daughters and his beloved sons. He changes our name from angry to loved, from rejected to loved, from abused to loved, from forgotten to loved, from performer to loved, from achiever to loved. And when his love and his story get down into us, deep down into us, all the way down, here's the thing, nothing can resist his transforming power. The shame we feel, the guilt we carry, the wounds we have inflicted and endured, the sorrow we have experienced, our sufferings, our loneliness, our sadness, our emptiness, nothing can resist the power of God's transforming love. See, the church is supposed to be a community of people who are continuously relocating themselves into God's story and reminding each other that they are God's beloved sons and they are God's beloved daughters. This is who we are, beloved sons and beloved daughters of the living God. This is our name. The church is not a gathering of religious people who have all the answers to all the questions and a Bible verse for every ache or pain or problem. It's about identity. Identity is about discovering God and who we are in Him and who we are to Him. Again, I found something that can say this better than I can. So Karen, roll the clip. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ reframes everything, bringing hope, life, and meaning to every part of human culture. And yet many of us can't see how our faith shapes much of everyday life and experience. Sunday to Sunday, the in-between days, where was Jesus? I didn't think about the whole of who I am. What was I passionate about or how God uniquely made me? What are God's purposes for us? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? How do we live in the world, but not of the world? God wants to make us more ourselves. He is holding all things together, and that he is reconciling all things to himself. We're exploring how does the biblical story reframe our story. We live out of our stories. So be located in the story, the biblical story, in which God reveals himself his character and his life. Jesus Christ is the most compelling person in world history. Christians believe his life, death and resurrection is the starting point of a wholly new way of understanding all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the center of history and the center of revelation. Christ came to make us whole, fully human, integrated again, restoring all the broken pieces. Jesus is present to us as Lord in New York City, in Vancouver, in Hong Kong, in Sydney, or in some little town no one has ever heard of. He is Lord of that place as well. Our Lord Jesus is Lord of all life. He's our Lord, whether we are asleep or awake, we live in Him. The call of the gospel and the claims of God and of the Lordship of Christ in our lives has to do with all of who we are. That amazing verse, Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in him you were created. You have been created through him. And you have been created for Him. And in Him, you hold together. And that's who you are. You are God's beloved daughter. You are God's beloved son. And life begins. Life begins in this reframed identity because this is reality for the follower of Jesus Christ. This is where life begins. And again, we have to keep rediscovering this all the time. So, just like these little ones who were up here a minute ago, all of you have a name that your mom and your dad gave you when you were born. And you know something? Your name is really important. For some, when your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa say your name or said your name, they thought about you and about what you are like and it brought joy to their soul, the mere mention of your name or the sight of a picture of you because they thought of you as friendly, as funny, as nice, as caring. And your name made your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa smile and they smiled because they love you. And they care about you. But let's be real. For some, your name didn't make your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa smile at all. Because they didn't love. And they didn't care for you. In fact, they hurt you. And they rejected you. But the most important thing about you, right now and forever, that will always be, the most important thing about you is that you are loved. You are deeply loved by the God who made you. He knows your name. He knows what you're like. He smiles when He thinks of you because He loves you and He cares about you. The sound of your name makes Him happy. We are God's beloved daughters And we are God's beloved sons, and this is who we are. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great privilege of simply contemplating what cannot be understood and at least thinking about it. So it blows our minds open to the big story that you are writing and that we are part of. Continue to help us find ourselves in you. Find our identity and our hope in you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It is fitting on this day, in light of what we talked about, to have this chance to come to the table and receive communion because the celebration of communion is an identity-giving practice. This is where we come and once again we remember who we are. Every other identity we have, every other role we play, every other thing that we think defines us, however it does, is secondary at best to being His beloved. And it is the beloved, the beloved of God, who come to this table to once again feast on our Lord Jesus Christ. So ushers will come in a moment to the back of each of your sections. They'll start in the very back and dismiss you out to the right. Go out to the right, come down. There'll be stations in the front, people to serve you the bread and to serve you the cup.